worship coming together in God's word. We continue in the book of Philippians as we have been these last several weeks together. And now we're here in fourth week in the fourth chapter and Paul's final exhortation to the church then and to the church now as God's word speaks to us. I'll be reading from verses 4 to 13. I invite you to continue reading that whole chapter. And I invite you, I hope maybe now at the end of this week, you'll take some time, maybe sometime today or tomorrow, and read in one sitting all four chapters. This whole book can be read in 10 to 20 minutes. And I invite you to hear it all together again and hear what the Lord is saying to you through the power of the Holy Spirit as you come to his word with us. Let's read it. These verses now, as I read them for us, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concerns for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just for fun, this last week I was thinking about different phrases that each of my family members say as a fun way to have some fun dinner conversation, but also just to tune in to each other and about what's important about uh, what each person thinks. And I got to thinking uh, as I was wrapping up my sermon for this week, what phrases do I say? And in our life together here at Faith Lutheran, I find myself frequently saying together, and I'm sure you've heard me say it, that together here at Faith, we do real life. And as we move into the conclusion of Paul's exhortation here to the church in Philippi and to the church here in Albuquerque, uh, he does real life. This word of God that is where we are called to be rooted doesn't gloss over things. He does real life. God does real life with us. For example, just one. The Apostle Paul, at the beginning of this letter, the first three verses, which I did not 
read, but I hope you will at home, uh, talks about two leaders in the church, Eudoia uh, and Syntyche. These two women who were co-leaders or co-laborers, as Paul called them in the gospel, two important leaders, two important leaders because he mentioned them, two important leaders also because they were in conflict. He doesn't gloss it over. He lays it out and invites them through the gospel to be in unity. These women were obviously important, but he did not just ignore whatever conflict was going on. He invited the church to deal with it. Things don't get glossed over in the gospel. We don't get invited to rejoice in the Lord always by just avoidance. You know, you can find all kinds of books on peace and happiness to do all sort of Jedi mind tricks to get your mind right, to be peaceful or happy. And those techniques can sometimes be helpful. But oftentimes, they use a practice of avoidance. For example, I was on the website anxiety.org and they were talking about uh, the practice of mindfulness. And they're encouraging us in order to practice mindfulness to not ruminate on the past and not worry about the future, but just focus in on the present. And while those techniques can be helpful, ultimately they're avoiding, avoiding that which plagued us in the past, that which we worry about in the future. And so oftentimes the big questions of life, especially when you think about, you know, significance and meaning, oftentimes we're told, well, that's just being morbid. Just, just focus on the now and then you won't be so stressed out. But that's not what the Christian is called to do. You and I are called to, as we hear in this text, to think about these big things. And in thinking, and as one pastor put it, and thanking in this text, we come to God and we come to peace and joy. Another example of that kind of avoidance and that kind of ide ideology comes from secular humanist and scientist Carl Sagan. This, in many ways, the godfather of secular humanism in, in the 20th century. Carl Sagan said that reality is what we make of it, that you and I were the custodians of meaning. Now, I would argue that his understanding of existence and meaning is, is, is in error and misunderstood because he is placing the burden of significance uh, on sandy soil on ground that will not hold. He doesn't understand the, the fullness of the transcendent gift of life that we've been given. He instead assumes that well, where I put my focus, that's where meaning is. And I can just avoid all this over here. I don't have to worry about that. That avoidance will give you some temporary peace, some temporary joy, but it will not stand the test of the storm. 
Christian peace examines reality. The idea that Carl Sagan was trying to get across, I think, also gets played out in popular culture sometimes, too. Uh, if you like the movie like I do, The Incredibles, a Pixar Disney film, there's a line in there that also misunderstands what it means to be made in the image of God when they say, well, if everybody's super, then no one is, right? Well, that's only true if, that's only true if you're not made in the image of God. It's only true if you're not made in the image of God, but we know by the guarantee of Christ's presence, by his death and resurrection, that ontological reality, that promise that is revealed to us, that which Paul is really pointing us back to, to think on that, it tells us that there's so much more than just what you and I can hold, so much more than what you and I can see, so much more than just avoidance. See, Christian peace examines reality for what it is, even the hard stuff. And Christians still dig in. Remember, the one, the one who told us to rejoice in the Lord always, this Apostle Paul, this guy, as he says it, he's telling it to us from, remember, prison. He says it as a man who has been flogged. That's whipped 40 times minus one. He says it as a man who was in Lystra, almost killed, was unconscious, stoned nearly to death. He says it as a man who's been, for the sake of the gospel, shipwrecked, not once, but twice. He says it as a man who gave up his prestige role as a Pharisee, as a person who was abandoned by one of his closest colleagues in the gospel, and who, as we know, will later be killed in Rome, as tradition tells us, most likely beheaded. This is the guy who says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. And so he's not doing it by glossing things over. He's inviting us to have peace and joy even in the midst of harsh realities. It's not avoidance or the removal or the absence of thought. It's the entering presence of God that gives real peace and joy within the realities that we face. For we have a God who gave us his peace. He gave us his peace by giving up peace when he went on the cross. He gave up his peace so that you and I could have peace. And the witness and reality of the person of Jesus, that reality of the resurrection, that leads us to joy. And for all those in Christ, we can learn as... Did you catch... In the scripture reading where the Apostle Paul says, you know, that he learned this. He learned the secret of this contentment, of this peace and joy. If he can learn it, so can you, so can I. And we can learn this, as I shared with you already from that wise pastor who said, from thinking and thanking. And so we're going to think and we're going to thank in this text today, and we'll be invited to do that in our own lives. I'm going to invite you to look briefly at a few words, some key words in this passage. Key words that I think will be key for your life 
and for mine. The first is rejoice. And we'll talk more about that as we already have. The next is this call to not be anxious, but instead to be thankful. Then we'll hear about this word guard, guarding our peace, who guards our peace and hearts, and what th that is about. Then we'll look at this word that we hear repeated over and over again, whatever. Now, you got to say it, right? It's not whatever, right? It's, it's whatever. It's, in the King James Version, whatsoever. This is what we're called to think on. We'll talk more about that. All this then leads us to this gift of peace and joy. So as we look at not only the sufferings that Paul has faced or we may be facing, I mean, for example, in today's world, how long can a conversation go on the phone or with Zoom or with friends maybe even in person, before you start talking about the pandemic, the virus. Well, there's another pandemic going on, one that's not just affecting a percentage of us, it's affecting every single one of us, myself included. And it's a pandemic that affects our hearts. It's a virus that captures us and grips us in sin. I like the way that Dr. Stafford Carson, formerly of the Westminster Theological Seminary, calls this disease that you and I all are inflicted with. He calls it the if-only disease. And the if-only disease plays out like this. If only my wife would do this, right? Or if only my husband would be like that. Or if only my kids would just listen like this. Or if only I got this grade. Or if only I got that raise. Or if only this hadn't happened. Or if this only, if only this won't happen. We, we got some of that list last week in chapter 3, didn't we? And this if only disease is really coveting ultimately from the Ten Commandments. But this if only disease robs us of our joy robs us of our contentment, robs us of our peace. And it makes us the custodians of truth. Custodians, as Sagan would want us to believe, custodians of meaning. Because we decide. Because what happens in the if-only disease with you at the center is it quickly moves to the only when. Right? Only when I get this will I be happy. Only when this happens like I want it to happen will I have peace. Only when. And the problem is that what we often do, those of us with this if-only disease, is we place the only when in the wrong place. We place the only when on sandy ground. We place the only when not on the solid rock, which Paul is inviting us to do to think about today. On Jesus, the ground on which we can stand and have peace and joy. For it's only when we think about these things that we'll have peace and joy. Not all those if-onlys. And so, 
Joy then becomes about our conviction. You see, the, the gospel predicates our peace and joy on Jesus, not on us. All of our suffering from this disease, uh, you know, and it, we suffer from it on some days more than others. And I confess I do, and I, 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 I'm sure you do too. Just become an opportunity for us to practice some of that avoiding or not dealing with life as it really is. But when we look at the real vaccine, the real remedy that, that deals with our life as it really is, then we can rejoice in any circumstance. Since joy is commanded here, it's not a feeling, as one scholar put it, or a mental attitude, as he writes, or a life stance, whereas happiness depends on what happens, joy derives from a conviction. De joy derives from a conviction. And what is that conviction? Well, the Apostle Paul, God's word here, invites us to think about that conviction. Whatsoever, whatever you think on, think on these things. We know from another scholar who points out that whenever Paul uses a phrase like this in the corpus of his writings, when he's asking us to think, he's asking us to think on our doctrine, on what we believe, on who we believe in, on Christ, the solid rock, what he did on the cross, what he did in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. That's what we're invited to think on. Not the if-onlys. And that then guards our hearts by thinking and thanking. Guards our hearts to give us peace and joy. But I want to say something more about guard. This word guard that is here in the text is a military word that conjures up this image in Greek of a garrison a whole garrison standing guard, guarding our hearts. So it's not just you guarding your hearts. It's together as the body of Christ. And not just the body of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit, His garrison is guarding your heart. It's not your reality. It's God's reality given to you. Given to you. A garrison guarding your heart for peace and joy. And so when Paul says to us not to be anxious, let's look at this word here. He's telling us having our hearts guarded by this garrison, having thought of and thinking about these things, which is the rock that we can stand on, to not avoid but to deal with reality, whatever it may be. This is what God is doing here. And what is he saying by saying not to be anxious, he's saying not, not to be indifferent, not to not care, not to well, not pretend like that doesn't hurt. But what is he saying is, is something else as we give it to the Lord in prayer. This word literally, well, before I tell you that, I'll tell you this. Paul, we know at the end of chapter 2, verse 28, said that uh, he has anxiety for the progress of the gospel. In chapter 
11 of 2 Corinthians, he says he has sleepless nights as he thinks about the, the gospel and its work in the church, his, his concern for the church. So it's not that we're not called to be concerned for things. So what is it? What is this thing that we're not to do? Well, this word literally means in the Greek to not be pulled apart. And what are we not to be pulled apart from? Our peace and joy in the gospel. That none of these things, none of these if-onlys is to pull us apart from the peace and joy that we've received in the gospel. Instead, as we think on Him and thank Him, we lay them all before Him. We pray about, in verse 6, everything. It's not that we have to avoid it. We bring it to Him in prayer so that we're not pulled apart from our peace and our joy. But there's one other image I want you to hear from that whatever, that whatsoever thinking on. It's not just thinking on. The word connotates a reckoning, an action. And what is that action? He's pointing back to where he started at the beginning of this reading. That action is prayer. That action is thinking. That action is thanking. He keeps pointing it back to this practice, not avoiding, but coming into the very present as the God of peace comes into our hearts and minds. This is how we're rooted in God's Word. Our past, our present, our future, all comes before Him in the cross who bore our brokenness for our peace. We don't avoid as Christians. We drill down into the big questions. And when we drill down, we find peace and joy. And so we can stand firm. As he said in chapter 1, he says here, And as Christ emptied himself for us, we then all kneel and confess that Christ is Lord. And so we, as he served us, we serve others. And not, as we learned last week, not that we have obtained it. No, we're continuing to repent, continuing to confess. Not that we've totally gotten over the if-only disease. We need to come to him again and press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You aren't the custodian of truth or your own peace. Christ's work on the cross, His garrison, the fellow body of Christ in the very presence of the Holy Spirit guards your hearts so that you can pray, not avoid, about everything and receive this gift of peace and joy. Whatsoever do we focus on, we focus on Christ. Let me end with this example. It's one I've shared with you before because it's touched my heart so powerfully in my life. It was a night I was teaching confirmation. And Southern California evening, I walked downstairs to church to follow up from confirmation to a good old-fashioned church committee meeting. And there in that committee meeting, my cell phone kept ringing, and so I realized I, I needed to be interrupted. And so I left the meeting and took the call. One of the moms who had picked up her daughter from confirmation that night drove them to Barnes & Noble to pick up a book. And there in the parking lot of Barnes & Noble, that sweet mom had a heart attack. 
And so her daughter had to call 911 and get her mom rushed to the hospital. And that's where I found the family in a private room. I rushed there to be with them. Dad and brother and sister all waiting to get the news from the doctor. And as the doctor came into the room, we knew right away it was not good. And he gave us the worst news possible that she did not survive the attack. So as we left that private room and gathered around this wonderful mom and wife, this family asked if we could do something and it touched my heart then and every time I think of it. And it's what Paul invites us to do here. You see, they weren't avoiding anything as they surrounded their mom that evening. When they asked me this question, they said, can we say the creed together? Can we confess our faith? And so as we shared together around mom that night, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit. They were avoiding none of the pain. They were avoiding nothing. They were putting it into the hands of the one who could hold it. And so, dear sisters and brothers, let us root our lives in the Word of God. Stand firm. Serve others. Press on and receive this promise of peace and joy. Amen.